Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, all things Ohio State versus Clemson, college football playoff, Sugar Bowl. That's what we know you guys want to hear about. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, a game that we've been looking forward to really all year long. You know, I think this is a game that, you know, we thought uh, we had a chance to see this year. I think it's the game we've wanted to see, and uh, now we're finally going to get to see it happen. It's a thrill. I mean, you know, I wrote and <laughs> I sort of just listed off all of the things that, that that players said on just, I think it was Monday. And it's like, you just, every single person who has gotten in front of a mic this week, it fit, well, one, it feels like they've all been media trained to say, hey, don't say anything stupid or say anything that will inflame Clemson or let them know what we're trying to do. So there's that. But the other thing is, like every single person to a man is like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the one we want. And the fact that they actually get it, I mean, it seemed for a while, like you, you just never know. You just never know how this year was going to play out. Um, and to actually have this happen, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's no doubt, you know, I think, you know, that players and coaches are always hesitant to admit that they're looking ahead or they're wanting a certain game during the season, but I think we've known all along that this is the game that they've wanted and, and they could admit it now. And, you know, I think uh, we think it's going to be a tough game for Ohio state. Uh, there's no doubt about that, that this is going to be a challenge, but you know, th- these are the type of games that, you know, Ohio state expects to be in. You know, this is the type of game that, you know, if, if Ohio state is going to make this season a real success, this is the kind of game it has to win. So, you know, it, it feels like, you know, both teams have a lot of confidence here. Uh, but, you know, I also think, you know, Ohio State knows it's got to play its best football of the year if it's going to have a chance to advance to the national championship game. Got a guest on. Should we should we lead with him? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we are going to bring in our guest, uh, Brad Senkiv. He is a radio host for 105.5 The Roar, which is the flagship station of Clemson Athletics down in South Carolina. He's also a writer for Clemson SI. Uh, We had him on the show last year. He's actually one of my former colleagues back when I was a Clemson beat writer at the independent mail and somebody who I think uh, does a really good job of covering Clemson uh, objectively and and, and knows a lot about the Tigers from covering them for a long time. So uh, let's bring in Brad and uh, have a conversation with him and learn a little bit more about Clemson. Thanks for joining us, Brad, for the uh, second year in a row here on Real Pod Wednesdays as Ohio State uh, gets ready to play Clemson again. And, you know, Brad, you know, I still hear from some Clemson fans because I was on the beat a few years ago. I know that you interact with a lot all the time as a radio host right in the heart of Clemson country. And it feels to me like Clemson fans are extremely confident about their team beating Ohio State again and winning this game and advancing to the national championship game. Is that the vibe you get? And do you think they should be that confident? Yeah, I think they're actually uh, more confident than maybe even in some past seasons and other big time games like this. I mean, this is a, a team, the program that's used to being on the big stage, used to winning games. I think I saw a stat the other day, they're 20 and two against undefeated teams or something like that. So, I mean, this is, this is a program that, that thrives and, and flourishes uh, w- with these kind of expectations. And the fan base is no different. You know, they feel like they should win every single game, uh, no matter the opponent, no matter the rankings, no matter, you know, the spread or anything like that. And you look at the spread and and you think back to past Ohio State-Clemson games over the last, you know, four years, and 
it's kind of hard for them not to be confident, I think, and, and feel like they're going to come away uh, victorious here. And, and with Trevor Lawrence and everybody healthy, now, if, if, look, if Clemson was not healthy, if this was the same team that was dealing with injuries back in November when they played Notre Dame the first time and lost, I think it's a very different vibe. But I think you're right. Right now, uh, with as, as confident as this fan base typically is, there's no shortage of it going around right now. They feel like that, that they are – superior to Ohio State. Uh, and I don't and I don't mean that just in this season. I mean, this is a program that feels like it's better than Ohio State. And I think that's fueling some of their confidence as well. It feels like this Clemson team is peaking at the right time. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, they're playing their best ball. I mean, their best game of the season was against Notre Dame. And they were finally healthy, having linebacker James Skowski and defensive tackle Tyler Davis back manning the middle of the field. Dan, it's, it's like when you lose, a, you know, your – your second baseman and your center fielder in baseball. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot to overcome when you lose starters that really man the middle of your defense. And they've bounced back in a big way with those two guys back. And Trevor Lawrence is in complete and utter control of this offense. Travis Etienne got going last game. Uh, The offensive line, I think, played one of their better games against Notre Dame. And, you know, things just feel like for Clemson that uh, they've peaked. And, And you know how it is, Dan. You've been around Dabo Sweeney. Uh, for a while, you know that he prepares his teams for this to be their best. Not not the ACC championship game, not the game before that. This, this time of the year is when he has his team peaking, and, and I think they are. And I think, you know, I think a lot of Ohio State fans, you know, ever since last year, have, you know, paid attention to Clemson fairly closely. But I also think, you know, a lot of them maybe aren't watching like week in, week out. If you were to just compare like what parts of this team are either better or worse than last year's team? Well, let's start with the worst part, Colin. I, I think the offensive line is not the, the caliber and the degree that you're, you've seen the last couple of years out of Clemson. That doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a weakness, but it's not as dominant in the run game. And that has hurt Travis Etienne's numbers a little bit this year. And I think Etienne's been banged up, and I think teams have zeroed in on him. There's a lot of reasons why it hasn't been a super productive run game for Clemson that you're used to seeing. But it starts up front with those big guys. And I don't think they've had the continuity and the chemistry and just the overall production that you've seen from past units. So I, I do think that's a little bit uh, maybe worse than last year. And the defense is just different this year, Colin. I don't know if it's if it's worse, if it's better. That's kind of hard to, to, to really judge because of, of, of the weird season that we've all seen in college football. They don't have the star, the playmaker, the first-round guys. They don't have a Christian Wilkins or Dexter Lawrence, or an Isaiah Simmons, those guys who are playing on Sundays now, they don't have a name that really stands out. I mean, they were left off the All-American teams on the, by the Associated Press. Not a single Clemson defensive player made any of those. So that tells you it's a differently built defense. Uh, so maybe I don't know if it's better or worse, but it's just different. Um, better? I think Trevor Lawrence is just better this year, guys. I, I mean, he is just – I was talking about this today on, on my show – I'm not sure I've seen a quarterback play at a higher level than him. And, and I, I don't mean that physically. I mean, I, I think everybody thinks of Trevor Lawrence, the big, strong arm, the ability to move in the pocket, to be, be able to, to run the football. He does a lot of really good things physically. But, guys, I'm telling you, his mental game and where he is in recognizing defenses, and the word I use all the time is control. He's in control of the game, in control of himself, in control of his offense. He's playing at one of the most elite levels I've seen any quarterback in 25 or 30 years do. That's what he's doing right now. He's better this year than he was last year. 
from, from your perspective and, and, you know, you're, you know, you've obviously been talking to all these guys longer than longer than we have when, you know, we just get the chance this week. What are sort of your vibe about, you know, I don't know if it's your opinion or if it's sort of the vibe that you get off of them that, you know, this is an area that in this particular game, they might be able to take advantage of. I, I, I you know, I think that we, we know from Ohio State's perspective what some of the weaknesses are, but from your guys' perspective, like, how, how do you see that? How do I see some advantages Clemson has? Yeah. Uh, I think I think Clemson's pretty confident when they look at Ohio State's secondary. and Fair. <laughs> Clemson's receivers, you have, you have to remember this too. I, I know Ohio State's secondary is not what it was last year. Neither are Clemson's receivers. Clemson mm-hmm. doesn't have that first-round talent, that Mike Williams, uh, that uh, Nuke Hopkins. They don't have that guy this year. What they have is Amari Rogers, who's a slot guy, is their top receiver. So that forces defense to act a little bit differently, right? When the number one guy on the field is in the slot, you have to defend differently. And then Cornell Powell has really come on. I know that's a guy that Dan knew about back many, many, many moons ago, and it's taken him this long to blossom into a reliable player. But between those two guys and Lawrence's ability, like I, I think Clemson can take advantage of down-the-field plays uh, with Ohio State struggles. And even though they don't have that big-time name, they have Trevor Lawrence. And I, I think they feel confident in their deep passing game, which I would not have said uh, six, seven weeks ago. Brad, with Cornell Powell, I keep thinking back to uh, your colleague, Walt Deptula. He was riding the Cornell Powell train about four years ago, and it finally uh, has come to pass this year. Of course – you know what the big story's been up here in Columbus for the past two weeks, and that's been Dabo Sweeney ranking Clemson 11th in the coaches' poll and him saying that he didn't think Ohio State belonged in the college football playoff. What's your viewpoint on all of this? Well, first of all, you have to understand, and then you, you know Coach Sweeney. He's going to be consistent. You know, he's going to be who he is. He's going to do things that are going to – shake the apple tree a little bit that are, that are going to rile people up. Not because he's intentionally trying to rile people up. He's just going to do what he wants to do. And you know what? It's his poll. If he wants to rank Ohio state 11th, he at least explained himself, right? There's a lot of coaches who would have done it. And they're not really said anything or not giving you much of an explanation. Uh, whether you buy his theory or not is up to you, but I think it's fairly sound when you say that, Hey, if you didn't play, you know, more than nine games, then you're not in my top 10. So technically, he ranked Ohio State number one in the country if he, if, of teams that didn't play enough games. So you can look at it that way. But look, he is who he is. W- would I have ranked Ohio State 11th in my poll? No, I would not have done that. Does that mean that he's wrong for doing it? It's his poll. You know, at least he has the guts to do what he wants to do and not hand it off to his SID and ask them to do it. And then also, he stands behind what he said. So I give him credit there, even though I don't agree with his ranking. I've been of the opinion that I think Ohio State playing fewer games hurts Ohio State because I don't think – you talked about Clemson peaking at the right time. I don't think Ohio State has really gotten close to its peak, and I'm not sure that you know one more game is going to be enough to get there. How do you kind of perceive that from Clemson's point of view? Uh, I absolutely, I agree with you, Dan. You know, Continuity, chemistry, identity, these are all things that are very important. Clemson's had a chance to work out a lot of things, you know, right? They they didn't quite know what they were going to do in the passing game without all those big-time receivers. They've worked that out. Uh, the offensive line has gotten better, even though I don't think they're as strong as last year. The defense needed some serious time to break in a lot of new secondary guys, or else they'd be in the in the boat that Ohio State's in right now. So I, I think it absolutely has paid off for Clemson to play enough games to figure some things out. And because of the injuries, Dan, 
they were able to play a lot of guys who they're going to probably need in this game who otherwise would not have played much this year. Ohio State didn't get a chance to do that. And Ohio State didn't have a chance to develop its team under a normal plan. And I think that absolutely matters. That will be a huge factor in this game, in my opinion. Were people in South Carolina aware throughout the year of just how much Ohio State fans hated Clemson? Or is this just – like I, I knew that in the immediate aftermath, obviously there was a whole national conversation about that game. Like that thing festered for months and months and months and months. And, yeah, I mean, we put polls up on our website, like who do you hate more, Dabo Sweeney, Jim Harbaugh. Dabo Sweeney crushes them. People right now hate Clemson in a way that, like, I have never seen basically ever for a non-conference opponent. Like, what are the vibes down there about what people think of, of Ohio State and just the general the general hatred that that, that comes out of uh, of Columbus for for Clemson? Well, Colin, the hate is real. I mean, the hate is real on both sides. It, it is not a it is not a one sided thing. The fans uh, cannot stand Ohio State. Uh, we bring them up on the show at any point, and it's instant reaction from people. I mean, really, outside of Alabama, South Carolina, and Georgia. Ohio State's the most talked about team on our on our station, probably. That, that Clemson uh, has any relation to Clemson whatsoever. And people care. I mean, anytime we bring up Ohio State in the offseason, people listen. They respond. And it, it's a team that people pay attention to. I think that's, um, in, in a lot of ways, you know, positive for Ohio State. You know, that the Clemson fans actually care about you and vice versa. It helps fuel kind of what's going on between these two sides. But there's a lot of animosity down here. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend there isn't. I mean, I know there's a lot up in Columbus and in the state of Ohio. Uh, a lot of people do not like Dabo Sweeney in this program. But I can tell you there are a lot of Clemson fans who feel the same way. And you don't have to go on social media very long to find it. I, I think that's really the true test as to where these uh, two sides stand. How do you think the players and coaches within Clemson's program feel because you know I thought you know Amari Rogers you asked a question on Tuesday morning I thought he gave kind of a illuminating response of you know how state's got more beef with us than we do with them do you think they view this as a rivalry or do they because they've been so dominant do they just kind of look at Ohio State as just another team I I think they kind of look at Ohio State as another team in, in their way to try to get to a national title and I I agree with what Amari's saying in terms of the player's perspective I think most of them have that they look at this as sort of a um, they don't like us, but we don't really want to acknowledge that we don't like them kind of sentiment. You, you get what I'm saying? Like they don't they don't want to give Ohio State the satisfaction necessarily that they think about them in that way. I think that's kind of what I got from the, the vibe from the players on this. But overall, look, they understand who Ohio State is. I mean, Clemson's played them. It's not like this is a new uh, a new team they've never been never gone up against. I mean, obviously. They know the players. A lot of these guys, you know, have, have played together. You talk about Matt Bockhorst, who's from Ohio. Jackson Carmen is from Ohio. Uh, you've got a lot of guys who have just, you know, like Justin Fields and and uh, Trevor Lawrence are so close. These guys know each other. Anytime you have personal knowledge of the players and you, you've known each other outside of, say, a perceived rivalry game, then it's a little bit different for the players. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of closeness between these two sides too. We had, you know, some questions from our reader. You know, there, there was one that was asked about, just, you know, Trevor Lawrence not necessarily having as much wear and tear uh, because he did miss some time. Do you think that helps him at all when you're playing against a team that hasn't played as many games? 
Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, I, I think when you're, especially at that position, the, the fewer amount of hits you can take, the better. The, the less chances that you have of getting hurt uh, are, are certainly better. It hasn't affected his rhythm, Dan. I mean, I, I saw nothing against, I mean, he wasn't great against Virginia Tech, but they were, I mean, Clemson had not played in forever, and they were rusty, and they did nothing offensively in terms of game plan that, that they had done in previous weeks. So, I don't really, I don't want to take much into that game, but he wasn't rusty at all against Notre Dame. He looked like the best version of Trevor Lawrence we've we've seen ever. So I I I think by and large, he's in as good a shape as he can be in right now and is well rested mentally too, not just physically. I think that's important. The grind of the season can wear you down mentally. He's not anywhere near there right now. He's playing his best ball. How do you just see this game playing out right now? You know, I don't know if you have a prediction or not, but just how, how do you see this playing out in terms of you know what what this game could look like on Friday night? Yeah, you know, I I think Clemson is going to be able to move the football, Dan. I, I do. I I look at what they've done in the run game with Trevor Lawrence back in there and his ability to use the zone read and sort of catch people off guard. He's not going to catch Ohio State off guard. I mean, they, they got burned by it last year. They just watched Notre Dame get burned by Trevor Lawrence's legs. I think Ohio State's going to try to take that away this meeting, but that's going to open things up for Travis Etienne. I, I really think Etienne's going to have one of those monster Etienne games. I don't know if he's going to have like 200 total yards, but I think he's going to affect this game uh, both in rushing the ball and receiving the ball, and I think the offense is going to be able to move it against Ohio State. What I'm curious about on that side of the ball, does Clemson try to control things? You know, do they – do they sort of just want to command the game on the offensive side, or do they want to take a lot of shots and a lot of chances? I, I think it would be wise if they can get a lead to sort of go into a management role and, and not be super aggressive and not put the ball at risk. And on the flip side, you know, I think, I think Ohio State is going to have to get after Trevor Lawrence like they did last year. They didn't get a lot of sacks, but don't think that their pressure didn't affect him some in the passing game. It did. I don't know if they can replicate that this year. And I don't know if they, if they can get to him for their secondary, uh, lets guys get free. So that, that matchup is going to be huge. And you go to the other side of the ball, I, I, I'm really curious. The thing that I want to see the most is the wide receivers, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson matching up with Andrew Booth and Darian Kendrick and how that goes and how much help does Brent Venables give those two corners on those receivers. Because Clemson's aggressive, Dan. You know that. You know Brent Venables is going to come after you. He's going to bring blitzes. He'll bring safety blitzes, corner blitzes. Everybody's going to come and blitz at some point in this game. How much does that affect what Ohio State is able to do down the field? Because this game really may come down to who throws the ball down the field better. And I'll take my chances with Clemson on that. I'll ask one more. You know, when you look at what Ohio State does, is there is there anything like under the radar that you know Clemson fans are a little bit worried about that they don't talk that much about, but you know could play a factor in this game? Yeah, I think it's the run game for Ohio State. To be honest with you, I, I you know what Trey Sermon did Northwestern was unbelievably impressive, and I'm not saying he do that two weeks in a row. Clemson has not given up rushing yards under Brent Venables. In his first three seasons, they gave up 200 more rushing yards eight times. Since 2015, they've given up 200 rushing yards five times, okay? Twice since 2016 have they given up 200 or more rushing yards. But I think there's an underlying concern there that if Ohio State got rolling on the ground game, it could really eat Clemson up because Clemson's not as big and physical 
uh, as they have been at defensive line. And so if, if you can get them off kilter a little bit and they can't protect the edges, I think there's an ability to run the football on the Tigers that is going to concern some fans going into this game Friday night. Brad, we want to thank you once again for joining us. Uh, for our listeners, if they're interested in you know getting more insight on Clemson, uh, where can they see your work? Yeah, you can check me out. Uh, we're on WCCPFM.com Monday through Friday, 9 to 12. Be on tomorrow for sure, doing a big preview show. Also, I'm the deputy editor at Clemson SI. You can follow us on allclemson.com. Got all kinds of stuff up right now, breaking down this game of will all week, heading into it. So uh, check us out there and check me out on Twitter, at Brad Sinkle. That's with a W on the end, guys. Thank you. I agree with a lot of what you know Brad has to say in terms of, you know, Clemson, you know, having reason to be confident going into this game. I think, you know, Clemson is uh, peaking at the right time right now. I think Clemson is is playing really good football this year. And I, I think Clemson should have every reason. I think, and I think it's fans should have every reason to feel like they can win this game. It doesn't necessarily mean that they will, but I think they're in a place that, they should feel good going into this game. You know, it's, you know, everything is on their side to me, to me, this is a fascinating matchup for a billion reasons, but you know, you have, if you just look at Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, like Trevor Lawrence, just year by year has sort of just gotten the better of Justin Fields. I mean, you look back to when they were in high school um, and yes, like Justin Fields won the elite 11, but Trevor Lawrence was the number one prospect. Like Trevor Lawrence beat him last year. You know, what would what would be better for Justin Fields than to go out in his last year by by beating Trevor Lawrence and Clemson uh, and sending Trevor Lawrence out with an L? And like for Ohio State, Clemson's obviously the team that they just haven't been able to get over um, throughout, you know, recent history and and the entire history of never beat Clemson. And, you know, there need a lot has been said and written about that over the years. No one needs a reminder, but like that's what's on on the line. I think if you look at just the college football landscape as we sit here today, like I think if you look at the teams bringing in the most talent, the teams that, you know, you look around and you say, wow, like I can't believe like all the four and five stars that are just littering those rosters. Like it's Alabama, it's Clemson, and it's Ohio State. But if Ohio State doesn't win this game, it wouldn't have beat either of those other teams since I, I believe early 2015 when they knocked off Alabama. And like, so to me, this game represents a lot of things. I mean, it represents a chance for, for Justin Fields to get that win over Trevor Lawrence. It represents a chance for, for Ohio State to, to get the monkey off the back. And then I do think also it represents an opportunity to cement itself in that tier one, which I think a lot of people like me and you, I think we probably believe that they have the talent to be there. But unless you actually are consistently beating the, the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world, I do think, you know, you can make an argument outside that, that, you know, Ohio State is certainly the third team among those three. And I think that Ohio State believes it should be above those teams. And and this is the first step to me in, in making that actually happen. Yeah, Brad made the point that, you know, Clemson fans, they don't just feel like Clemson's better than Ohio State right now. They feel like Clemson's better than Ohio State, period. And, and they have reason to feel that way because – they have beaten Ohio State every time they've played. You know, three of those games have been in the past seven years. And, you know, last year's game was close, but certainly the one before that wasn't close at all. And, and you know, you made the point to me off air a few days ago that, you know, if, if, if Clemson wins this game, that 
you know, Ohio State, can, can Ohio State really call itself a tier one program with Clemson and Alabama if it doesn't win this game? And I think it's a fair question because you're right. I mean, Ohio State, you know, they won the, they won the first college football playoffs six years ago, and they haven't won in the college football playoffs since. So at some point, you, you've got to get back there. You, you, you've got to get back to that national championship game if you're going to really be a, a tier one program, they're absolutely bringing in tier one talent. I mean, you look at the class they just signed, they are continuing to position them, position themselves to be a national championship contender year in and year out for many years to come. But this is a results-based business. And until Ohio state beats Clemson, Clemson is absolutely going to have the right to feel like it's, in a better place as a program that it's a tier above Ohio state. And so, you know, I, I think, I think it is, I think it is a a significant game in terms of where Ohio state is as a program. You know, I, you know, I think the thing, you know, when you, if you talk about the argument of tiers is I still think there's a gap between those three and everyone else, you know, in terms of teams that I think have a chance to compete for a national championship year in and year out. But I, but I do think, you know, you you have to start winning these games to really keep yourself at that top tier. I think right now, you know, Alabama, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, you know, they've been the Kings of this sport in recent years. You know, we saw LSU win a national championship last year, but it wasn't sustainable. I, I think, you know, these are the three teams that are built to have sustained success year in and year out. But in the past five years, Ohio State is for one of these teams that hasn't won a college football playoff game. So now's another opportunity to change that. Yeah, and it's almost, you know, like last year, Ohio State should have beat Clemson. Like there were obviously there were probably 10, 10 different instances in that game where if something had gone different, the result certainly could have been different. Um, but that is a loss on the resume. Like you can't really change that. And that's the thing that's, that's tough about, you know, when we talk about tiers and whatnot, because yeah, I mean, Ohio State probably should have won that game, but they didn't. Um, And if we look forward like this thing to me, it's so weird because on one hand, you know, I think this thing sets up perfectly for Ohio State in the sense that like, this is, this is it. Like, this is exactly what everybody's been waiting for. Like, this is the reason why Chris Olave and Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade did not doubt. Like, yes, they want the national championship, of course, but they also really want to do it by going through Clemson and they want to get that taste out of their mouth from last year. Like the reason Justin, you bring in Justin Fields is to beat Clemson and they have, they have their second shot at beating Clemson. Like we, we talked about it all year. Like we, we would love to see this game again. And obviously the Buckeyes would have loved to see this game again, but we never knew that it would actually come to pass. And the fact that it actually is here, it feels perfect. And on the other hand, I feel like there's so much trepidation in Columbus right now. Like there's like from, from people who are, you know, commenting on articles from people who are just, you know, the vibes that I just get from fans, not exactly a lot of confidence. And that's sort of the interesting dichotomy of this game where on one hand, I think it's, I think it's perfect. I think it, I think it sets up perfectly. Like this is, you know, if Justin Fields wants to go out a national champion, he has to do it by getting through Clemson, presumably Alabama. And at the other hand, you know, Ohio State's the, uh, the underdog right here. I mean, here's kind of a way that I look at it. Like, is Ohio State good enough to win this game? Yes. I mean, and and that's why, you know, there's reason to believe this should be a good game because Ohio State has the talent to to match up with Clemson, to have a chance to win this game. But 
I also, I think, and I think people on both sides of a game see this way, whether it's the Clemson fans that are confident or it's the Ohio State fans that are nervous. But I think if you logically look at this matchup, if you look at it on paper, and if you just look at it based on the way these two teams have played so far this season, then Clemson should win the game. That That's why Clemson is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Because I think if you just look at it, if these two teams play the way they have played all year, Clemson's going to win the game. I, I think Ohio State is banking on being able to play its best football game to win this game. And it could. I mean, this is when – you should play your best football. You should play your best football in the college football playoff. And the fact that Ohio State has only played six games and there's still so many unknowns about this team. In the last two games, Ohio State has been missing several key players. If Ohio State's back to full strength for this game, then I think it's absolutely realistic we could see Ohio State play its best football of the year in this game. But the fact is, I think Ohio State has to play its best football to win this game. And, and that just significantly reduces the margin for error for the Buckeyes here. I mean, like from my perspective, I don't really 100% know what that means, though, because I think this team is interesting to me in that, like, what is this secondary's best football? Like, I don't know. Is it how good is that? And I don't like, know. Like, I don't know, like, what is Trey Sermon's best football? Like, probably not going to run for three. Probably what he did against Northwestern. I think we saw Trey Sermon's best football. And and obviously, when you say that they have to play their best football, you don't mean that he has to run for 300 yards. But there is is a sense that I think that, as a whole, the product that this team puts out has to be better. And I think that if you look at it individually, I think that you can sort of, you know, you you can look in at Justin Fields and be like, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting because we spent the entire offseason. I feel like I feel like I've wanted to see Justin Fields play poorly to believe that he's capable of playing poorly. And now it's like, wait, like he's capable of dominating a really good defense. Right. (laughs) Because I'm I'm coming off of the Northwestern game and like the Indiana game is still in my head. Um, And I think that he's he's maybe the number one guy that when you say they have to play their best football, you're sort of talking about Justin Fields. And then also, like, I look at the running game and, you know, I think it's interesting what the offensive line and Trey Sermon did last week. I just have no idea what to expect with that. And when I don't think you can say, like, they have to play their best football because to me there's some sort of implication that they have to do a re- have a repeat of last week or not last week, but last game against Northwestern. I don't necessarily think they have to do that, but I do think that they have to play at a level where unlike maybe early in the season, you can rely on them if you have to, if things aren't going well through the air and defensively, it's like, I have no idea what this defense's best game is because as I wrote today on Tuesday, I feel like I've learned nothing about this defensive backfield in 38 days. Like they played Indiana 38 days ago. And what has happened since like they played against a Michigan state team that stinks at throwing the ball. And they did so without Josh Proctor. And then they played against a Northwestern team. That's also not very good at passing. And they did it without Marcus hooker. Like, what is this defensive backfield going to look like when it has all of its pieces? And is it going to be better? I, I just think this is a full, this is a complete game of unknowns. And we, when we talk about, you know, are they going to play their best football? I don't even really know, like, if I've got a vibe on what, like, the average football is. Like, what, what is this Ohio State team in, in, in general? And, and what even is that peak? I think that this is the most confusing Ohio State team going into a playoff probably ever. 
Well, I mean, I think that's what you'd expect when you play only six games before the mm-hmm. playoff instead of 13. Like that's less than half of the data that you would typically have to evaluate a football team. So I think it's very understandable that we just don't know exactly how good this Ohio State team is. You know, when I say best football, I mean, that's a, that's an oversimplification. What I really mean is they need to play their most complete football game of the year. I think they need to be good in all phases to win this game. I think, you know, we've seen Justin Fields have spectacular games this year. We saw Trey Sermon in the running game have a spectacular game against Northwestern. We've seen the run defense look really good in most games. You know, the pass defense, I think we've seen them play one good passing offense, and they look awful against that pass passing offense. So, you know, like when I'm talking like when I'm talking about best football, like absolutely the number one thing that comes to mind is a pass defense. I mean, it it just is because I think that is the greatest area of unknown. Cause I think we both feel strongly that other than Indiana, this pass defense just hasn't been tested and we know they play badly against Indiana. That doesn't mean that I expect them to play as badly against Clemson, but it's just that we just haven't seen them be tested by anyone else. And, you know, I don't think even, you know, they're confident they've gotten better, but I don't think they can know whether they're better. I mean, they, they can think they're better, but nobody knows until you actually go out there and do it in a game. So, you know, I think that is the number one thing that everybody looks at, you know, for obvious reasons is, you know, it, it, if a pass defense gives up big play after big play, like it did against Indiana, Ohio State's probably not going to win this game because I, you know, but the way I look at it, you know, I thought Andrew Ellis did a good piece for 11 Warriors on Sunday about kind of who's got the edge in each of the different areas in this game. And I think you can make a case that Ohio State has the edge in three out of four phases on offense and defense. I, I think you, I think if Justin Fields is on his game and, you know, absolutely when I'm talking about best football, I mean, Justin Fields has got to be Justin Fields. Justin Fields has got to be the Justin Fields we've seen in all but two games of his Ohio state career, because other than the Indiana Northwestern game, he, he's been pretty great in every other game in his career. So Justin Fields needs to be that. If Justin Fields is that, and you get Chris Olave back and you've got Garrett Wilson, I think Ohio state's passing offense does have an edge over Clemson's passing defense. I think Ohio state's going to be able to make some plays through the air. If everybody's healthy and Justin's playing the way we know he can, I think the rushing offense, you know, you know, Brad mentioned it. Clemson's running defense has been dominant year after year, but I I do think the way Ohio state has come on at the end of the year in that area. And and the fact that I, I do think, I think Ohio State's offensive line is more talented than Clemson's defensive line. I I think Ohio State has a chance to run the ball well in this game. So I think Ohio State could have at least a slight edge in that regard too. And I think run defense versus Clemson's rushing offense, I I think Ohio State could have a slight edge there as well. I I don't think it's a big edge, but I think the way Ohio State's run defense has played this year, and I think the fact that Clemson's offensive line isn't as good as it's been in past years. I do think that's a potential area of an advantage for Ohio State too. But I think Clemson's edge passing offense over Ohio State's passing defense could absolutely be bigger than Ohio State's edge in those other three areas combined. Yeah, to zero in on that, I think it's you know it's an interesting thing because you know Brad mentioned this. You know, they don't have that first round receiver that's 
would sort of be terrifying right now for an Ohio State team. You know, Amari, they have Amari Rogers, who's a slot guy. You know, they have Powell, who you mentioned. Um, and then there are only two other guys who have more than 19 receptions are, are their running back and their tight end. And I think that, you know, that's at least a little bit interesting to me because, you know, the one thing that has torched this Ohio State defense when we saw it get torched is them going to, to Freifogel, them going to those wide receivers down the field and those explosive guys who can, who can, who can hit the big plays. Is there any chance that maybe Clemson's just won't be able to, to hit those big plays because they don't have that kind of Mike Williams kind of guy? Maybe. But not really. I'm not. I, I. I. think. I think if Ohio State's pass defense, you know, plays the way it did against Indiana, plays the way it did in some of those games, I think Trevor Lawrence and these receivers are going to be more than capable of, of making big plays against them. Because who's specific, which receiver specifically are you are you thinking when you're talking about those big plays? Well, you know, I mean, you know, one of the the thing that the thought that kind of popped into my head when you know, Brad mentioned about Amari Rogers being the best receiver playing in the slot is, is there a chance we're going to come out of this game thinking Ohio state made a big mistake taking Sean Wade out of the slot? Because it certainly didn't sound like when Sean was asked about it on Tuesday, like there was any talk about potentially him, you know, moving around to follow Amari Rogers, not even a little bit, but if that means Marcus Williamson is lined up against Clemson's best receiver for the entire game, that I think could be problematic. For Ohio State, and you know, I, I I'd agree that I think on the outside, you know, Cornell Powell has made some big plays this year, so I, I think he is capable. I, I would agree though, but I, I don't think there's one guy. I, I don't think you're going to see one guy at Clemson's receiving core. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think there's going to be one guy that's going to just beat him over and over again on the outside, but. That matchup of Amari Rogers in the slot, considering the fact that I think that's been a shaky position for Ohio State all year, that definitely is concerning to me. Yeah, to me, to me, that's the real concerning one. The, the the one thing about that though is like I don't know if Amari Rogers is the kind of guy who I've seen just tear up this Ohio State defense um, this season. And obviously, like this is a we're going off a six game sample size. It is a little bit hard to to get a gauge on that, but. You know, if I was looking at this from an optimistic Ohio State point of view, you know, I don't necessarily know. Like Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is awesome. Um, the way that I would maybe be uh, – the, the way that I think, you know, Clemson is, is built to attack, you know, they like getting ETN the ball um, in the passing game. They like, you know, like, like Brad was talking about, trying to, try to mix things up and, and try and confuse you and get Trevor Lawrence to, to – to, to carry the ball. And obviously Ohio state fans know that after last season. Um, I do wonder if this is just going to be, you know, we talk, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the secondary. I do wonder if when we talk about ETN and, and Trevor Lawrence, um, if this is just going to be a, a bigger game for the linebackers and what this, what the impact these linebackers can have. Um, and also I'll, I'll just add Josh Proctor into that mix. Cause I think the, the Josh Proctor matchup with whenever he's around ETN or, or Galloway, I think is going to be interesting. Uh, but, you know, what do you think about what these linebackers can do and, and can prove? Because I remember before the season, I was a little bit almost uncomfortable when Ryan Day was saying that the linebackers would probably be the best part of the defense. And now to me, 
it feels like, well, one, I was, I maybe, you know, I, I thought I was fairly high in the linebackers. I just thought that maybe that didn't tell you a, a great sign about the other position groups. Um, but the way that Pete Warner's played, the, the, the way that Baron Browning has played, the way that Justin Hilliard's played recently, I mean, I don't think we're going to see a lot of tough Borland on Friday, but the way those three guys have played, I think if you're an optimistic Ohio State fan, you look at them versus ETN and, and Trevor Lawrence and you wonder, like, what can, what can these guys do on the big stage? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the linebackers have played well. I think those are guys who are, you know, more than capable of rising to the occasion. You know, I think the thing is, like you, you mentioned, like, you know, what teams have done to attack Ohio State this year. But, like, have they faced a back like ETN? Who, who can make plays a receiver out of backfield? No, they have they no. faced a slot receiver like Amari Rogers, who's dangerous from a slot? I don't really think they no. have. I mean, that's that's the problem when you've only played six games is they just haven't really faced a lot of threats. So I think there's the small sample size we have out there would tell you that, you know, that there's reason to be concerned about just about everything uh, in, in that regard. And yeah, but I'll, I'll say this, like, they're, they're, you're right, there's not a big sample size, but, like, I've been fair, pretty impressed with what Baron Browning, Pete Warner, and Josh Brocker can do in space. And I think that maybe is being a little bit underrated when we're thinking about the ways that Clemson can attack. Yeah. Yeah. You're I'm not, not convinced. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not because, honestly, I think the last time we saw these guys really face a threat like this was last year against Clemson. And I remember a lot of bad angles in that game. I remember a lot of plays being given up by those guys who had been pretty great all last year too, suddenly not being able to make certain plays against Clemson. So I I just think, you know, I I just think the hard thing for Ohio state in this game is there's so much projection. Like there's so much that we have to go into this game and say, they have to do this well but we just don't know if they can do it because we haven't seen them play enough. And, and so it really does come down to, you know, how good have they gotten in practice? How, how good is their preparation? How good is their game plan from this game? And is it all going to translate for 60 minutes of football when Ohio state has to be at its absolute best? And, and that's a daunting task. Yeah. I think that my number one concern on this defense in this game is definitely Amari Rogers. Uh, well, not definitely because there are a lot of threats, but I think if I'm looking from an Ohio state perspective, like the Marcus Williamson, Amari Rogers matchup is a little bit terrifying. And if I'm thinking that I can't imagine that Kerry Combs is going to keep him on him the entire game. And that's where I think we we might see a little bit of creativity. This is the, this is the thing that to me has been just hard to gauge is that like, I don't know, are you going to see more two safety looks or are you going to, shift some things around so that you so that you don't have that the entire game I you know I I'm I'm sure that they've been planning this for many many months um but I don't really know what their answer is going to be and the thing with them not you know having a full secondary in 38 days is they haven't really been able to try anything because you know maybe they would have maybe they would have tried Josh Proctor out of deep safety when Marcus Hook and and, and Marcus Hooker may be closer to the line I don't really know they could have tested some stuff like that out late in the season but since everybody was banged up, they sort of just had to play with who they had. Um, and that's the part where I'm interested to see how they attack it because that, that Amari Rogers, Marcus Williamson matchup, like that's the thing 
um, that should probably terrify Ohio State fans. Well, I mean, I think back to last year's game where Ohio State hadn't really done two safety stuff all year, and they decided to do it against Clemson, and it didn't work. And to me, you know, I think I thought that in hindsight was a mistake by Ohio State in that it didn't experiment, it, you know, it had all these blowout wins and it didn't experiment with these things and then suddenly decides to do it in the biggest game of the year. To me, that was a mistake by Ohio State's coaching staff. This isn't a mistake. This is just circumstance that you've only played six games. You just haven't had the opportunities to experiment with these things. But again, you know, this is where I go back to, I know Dabo's got it in his head that, you know, Ohio State's got an advantage by only play, playing six games, but I just don't see it that way. And I, I just think, you know, there, I think Ohio State is going to have to take some some leaps of faith in this game. And, you know, whether those leap of faiths work might determine where they win this game. You know, and I think, you know, I think Ohio State uh, better be ready to adjust. You know, I think uh, they're probably going to go into this game trying some different things that we haven't seen this year. And I think they better be ready to adjust if those things don't work. Because, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways this, this game could go. But I do think I do think there's a possible outcome in this game here where this thing could just get away from Ohio State real fast. If if they if they try to do things they haven't done all year and they don't work and they can't adjust, I mean, I think there's a possibility of this game getting away from Ohio State real fast. You know, I think if Ohio State you know, can keep this game close, you know, get, the, get this game into the fourth quarter, like Ryan Day always talks about, then they're going to have a chance because, you know, for all the, for all the, you know, struggles Justin Fields has had in some recent games and we've talked about him, he's still Justin Fields. He's still the second most talented player in college football, in my opinion. And the only one who's better is the quarterback they're going to be going against, which is why uh, we're so concerned about the pass defense going into this game. But I still think Justin Fields can do special things. You know, I, I think that if you, you know, if you get this game into a point where, you know, Ohio State needs to make a play to win the game in the fourth quarter, we know it didn't happen last year, but I still believe that, you know, this offense can do that. I, I, I just, but I think, but you've got to be able to get the game there. You can't, you, you can't let, if, if Clemson hits some big plays early and, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be a huge key. Can Ohio State limit big plays? But limit's the key word there because you're not going to prevent them, not against this Clemson team. They're too good. They're going to hit some plays. But you've got to be able to respond if Clemson hits those big plays. You know, we saw it against Indiana where, you know, I think what made that game so concerning is, okay, Indiana hits one big play, hits two big plays, okay. But it was once the big play started, that snowball kept rolling. Like Indiana just kept hitting big plays and Ohio state couldn't find a way to adjust. I think that's what you worry about going into a game like this is if, if Clemson finds something early and it hits them early, is Ohio state going to be able to adjust? Are they going to figure out what they need to do to, to, to slow down Clemson and to keep this thing a game? Um, you know, we, we just have, we haven't seen Ohio state play a game all year against a team that can really talent equate them on both sides of the ball. So I think those are all things that we are just going to learn about Ohio state. Once this game kicks off on Friday night. To, 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 to keep things on the, the defensive side for Ohio state real quick there, there should, you know, there's one area that I would feel really confident in and that's the up the middle run game. 
Like, I don't, I, you know, this is something that maybe has gone under discussed the whole season, but it's like, you know, there, there, there are other more important things, but teams have not been able to gash Ohio State up the middle at all. Um, and I think that that's in large part credit to what this defensive line is. Um, I think the defensive ends in the run game are a little bit underrated, but I also think the defensive tackles are obviously you know, stars and Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai. And I think that that interior part of, of this defense, even against Clemson, you know, you know, you, everybody knows the Clemson offensive line is, you know, it has taken a little bit of a step back this season. This is, this is an area that Ohio State should win, and it should feel comfortable going into this game and thinking it should win. And that's where I do, you know, that's where I wonder, you know, Clemson's going to want to get this ball, and they're, they're going to want get to the, get the ball into space. They're going to want to push the ball down the field. And that's, you know, going back to my point about the linebackers, that's where I do think it's a huge, it's, it's going to be huge for, for Baron Browning and Pete Warner and Justin Hillier and Josh Brocker to fly around. Like those guys, to me, those guys, to me, could win this game for Ohio State. Um, and obviously the defensive backfield is huge too. But, but when I think about, you know, the inability for most teams to, to, to push the ball up the middle, with Ohio State, I think that that extends to Clemson, and I think that that's why they're going to try and get the ball outside, and you know, it'll it'll be all up to the back seven in my mind of how this game plays out. I agree with that because I mean, if you look, I mean, if you just look at last year's game, I mean, you saw Trevor Lawrence have a huge game, of course, have that sixty-seven yard touchdown run, but you know, Travis Etienne he only had thirty-six yards on ten carries last year, and that was with a better offensive line and. You know, as good as as good as Devon Hamilton and, and Ohio State's defense was last year, I think these defensive tackles are better. I think this interior defensive line is better. So, I do think Ohio State can win that matchup. And and I think, you know, I think Ohio State, I think that should be the mindset: is you are not going to let Clemson run the ball on you, and you are going to force Clemson to make plays for the years to beat you. I think I think that should be the mindset. It's just can this back seven, can this pass defense do enough to, you know, if you force them to make those big plays through the air, can you actually stop those big plays? You know, I think, you know, that's the key. And, you know, I do think, you know, certainly, you know, it, it is fair to, to question, you know, in a game like this too, you know, can the pass rush do enough to help out the secondary here? You know, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think so much of a focus when people talk about Ohio State's defensive line is, well, they don't have a Chase Young. They don't have a Chase Young. We know that. But I still think Ohio State's defensive line has been good. I think, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, every time I rewatch the game, I always, like, there's so many pressures that I didn't see when the game was happening live that I then see when I rewatch the game again. So I think Ohio State's defense in terms of bringing pressure has been a lot better than people are giving them credit for because I think you know people just expect you know the, the big sack numbers you know that Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa type of dominant player that we've seen in the past and you know that's an understandable expectation because that's what Ohio State's had but you know I, I do think this defensive line and this pass rush is solid but does Ohio State need it to be great in this game? It might. To throw it to the other side of the ball real quick, because um, obviously we spent a lot of time dissecting how in the world this defense is going to stop Trevor Lawrence. You know, Justin Fields and and Trey Sermon, obviously, I don't think anyone can figure them out right now. You know, they're in an interesting spot where, you know, 
a month ago, we would have been having a completely different conversation about them than we are right now. Um, what, what, what do we think of this running game? Like, as we sit here today, obviously he's not going to run for 300 yards, Trey Sermon, that is. I think it's probably also obvious he's not going to run for 30. There's, there's going to be some sort of medium, and I can't decide in my mind if, like how, how much am I buying into last game's performance and the offensive line last game and how much the, the, this translates to the Sugar Bowl. I think when I think about when I'm projecting how this game goes, that's, that's maybe the most difficult part of this to me because like I, I really like this offensive line before the season. I feel like it's sort of coming into form late, late this year. I have no idea what to expect from Trey Sermon. Yeah, I expect middle ground. I mean, that's what I expect. I, I think, you know, I think his worst football at Ohio State is behind him. But I think, you know, what he did against Northwestern, I mean, it's not realistic to do that against Clemson. I, I don't think it is. So, you know, I, I, I expect, you know, I mean, again, we're talking middle ground here because, I mean, against Northwestern, you know, once Ohio State started committing to its run game, it was basically just Ohio State kept running the ball and Northwestern just wasn't going to stop them. And Ohio State just kept running and running, and Northwestern was not stopping him. Clemson's going to get some stops. I mean, Clemson's, Clemson's not going to get gashed for 10 yards every carry. I, I, I'd be shocked if that happens. Now, do I think Ohio State you know, can put together some drives led by its ground game? I do. But I also think Justin Fields is going to have to make plays on third down to win this game. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But you know, you're going to have to be able to make plays on third down to win this game. And you know, that's what we didn't see against Northwestern is – uh, we, you know, we saw every time they were going to third down, you know, and, and they were asking Justin Fields to make a play. Uh, it wasn't happening. So, you know, that that's the point of concern. Now, now again, I, again, do I think Trey Sermon's going to play like he did against Northwestern? No. Do I think Justin Fields is going to play like he did against Northwestern? No, because that was by far his worst game as a Buckeye. And I think, you know, I think we're all maybe a little bit too worried about Justin Fields because I think, you know, we've seen him play so much great football that, you know, we know how much this game means to him personally, how, how much he's going to want to play at his best in this game. I, I think we're going to see Justin Fields make a lot of great plays. Now, do I worry a little bit about him trying to do too much as we've seen him do in a couple of these recent games? I do. I, I do think that's a, a realistic concern. I think that's why we saw Ryan Day on Monday – you know, when he was asked about Justin Fields, kind of make the point of, we don't need Justin to throw for 500 yards. We don't need Justin to win the Heisman because I think he's probably drilling that point into Justin Fields' head is, you know, we don't, we don't need you to, to have the best game of your career, but we need you not to lose us the game. So I think that's probably something that's being drilled into his head is, you know, don't force some of these throws into traffic that you did against Indiana or Northwestern. You've got to make smart decisions at the football. You can't turn it over because, you know, I think, you know, that's an area where Ohio State, you know, cannot afford to lose this game. And then, you know, the other question with Justin, that's a very real question, and I just don't think we're going to know the answer to until the game kicks off on Friday night is how healthy is Justin Fields? Because bluntly, when both Ryan Day and Justin Fields get asked about it and they say he's fine, but they, they basically answer the question as quickly as they possibly can, that tells me he's probably not 100%. I mean, it, it, he's going to play. I mean, he's going to play. But the fact that they seem to want to answer that question and move on as quickly as they possibly could tells me that 
he's probably not 100%, but they don't want to give anything away. Yeah, and, you know, I think uh, I, we don't 100% know exactly what the preparation is right now and how many reps he's taking, if he's taking them all, um, and, and how, how, you know, we just don't know that right now. Everything is locked down to, to, a, to a great degree right now. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's interesting right now because, you know, there are, there are a couple things there to me. I mean, one, like he has to, he has to be better at, at risk assessment in play risk assessment, which is funny because like he was so good at that for a season and a half. And then against Northwestern and Indiana, it just sort of went out the window on a couple plays and it, and it just didn't really make any sense. Um, and then, you know, I think the other aspect is like the, the interesting thing about, you know, he, he and Ryan day is like, it felt like they wanted to be aggressive by pushing the ball down the field instead of maybe taking some underneath options. And I don't really exactly know why that was so much more of an issue uh, against Northwestern than, than maybe we had seen before. I do wonder if the return of Olave maybe, you know, lessens that to, to a, to a fairly great degree, because he's, he's the guy who I don't really feel like I totally gave credit for. Um, I feel like he's maybe more important to the off. He's more important to the offense now um, in my mind than, than Garrett Wilson. I never would have said that before he missed the game. And I just felt like there was a, there was an element of this offense that was completely missing when he was there. And that was the, the ability to convert down the field. I mean, they had two, two completions against Northwestern for more than 11 yards. They were just on quick back-to-back plays, one to Julian Fleming and one to Garrett Wilson. I just have to imagine that wouldn't have been the case if Chris Olave was out there too. So I think that that's maybe the one area um, that I feel more confident in, that we won't maybe be talking about some of those underneath decisions that, that you know he didn't make. The one area, like you mentioned, is the decision-making. That's, that's just a part of it that's just so hard to understand and, and wrap your head around because he was so good at that and so confident in that. And it was just like it was second nature to him to, to figure out when to throw the ball away, when to run, when not to take off, when to just take the sack. Um, and then he just he, he threw some really bad passes um, over the past month and a half. And, it, and those just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and that's the part that's that to me is, is is as big an unknown as anything else, whether he whether he'll make those kind of errors, because those are the errors that can cost you a game. Those are the errors that can cost you the playoff. If I'm Brent Venables, I am going to be uh, as aggressive as I've ever been blitzing Justin Fields because I think we have seen that teams have been able uh, to make Justin Fields uncomfortable and force him into some uncharacteristic mistakes. And so, you know, that Clemson's aggressive by nature. That's just who they are. So it's not going to require a big deviation from their game plan, but you know, I think, you know, that's something that I'd expect to see a lot of, a lot of blitzing, a lot of trying to force fields into making poor decisions. And I, so I think it's really important for Ohio state uh, to make sure Justin is prepared for what he might see on Friday and to make sure that, you know, he understands, you know, what, what plays he should try to make and what plays he shouldn't try to make. Cause because I do think, you know, that's going to be a huge part of this is, you know, making the right decisions against a defense that uh, is going to try to make you uncomfortable. Uh, it's going to try to confuse you. And, and bluntly, as Ryan Day hinted at on Monday, they're going to try to know what Ohio State's doing before they do it. And they're going to try to put the right play in 
to, to counteract that because, you know, we, we, there was a story written, uh, I believe it was by Pat Forty earlier this year about how, you know, Brent Venables and Clemson have a not- notorious reputation for sign stealing, which isn't illegal, but, you know, I mean, people might have their different opinions on, you know, whether it, uh, you know, taints uh, the game we were asked about one of, by one of our listeners, uh, Cujo247 about this and, you know, what are the Buckeyes going to do to counteract the sign stealing? I don't know if I know enough about that to really have a good idea of how Ohio state can, can counteract it, but it certainly seems like something that Ryan Day is aware of that Clemson's might be trying to do. So I would certainly think that Ohio state is going to have some, some kind of plan in place that they think will limit Clemson's ability to do that. And I don't think it was a mistake by day to um, mention that as in he did an intentional. And I think he did, he did it in a way that I immediately messaged the 11 Warriors staff members. and was like, did he just do that? I feel like he just did that. And other people caught on too. And yeah, um, I think, I think he likes that they know that, that they are aware of, of this having happened. Um, I mean, there, there are any number of things that they can do and, and you never know like how exact, how, you know, how, how intense Clemson actually is in, in, in sign stealing, like how, you know, what, what links they're going to, like, does it taint the game or is it just playing the game? We were asked. Um, it taints the game. If you go full Houston Astros, <laughs> like you can't be doing that. Um, if we hear any trash cans being banged, uh, which by the way, for the 3000 people in attendance, that would be sort of hilarious if you're starting to do that um, while Brent Venables is calling plays. Um, then sure, that taints the game. I I don't know if, if you have 75 people um, who are analysts who are all trying to sign steal. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you draw those lines, but you know, Ohio State will do what it can. And, and that is, you know, maybe you see them huddle at certain times. Maybe you see them switch the signs up mid game. I don't know. There's any number of, of, of things that they could do and they will never tell us. Ryan day is very calculated in everything he says. So I, I agree with Colin that I think it was intentional that he said that because he, he's just not the kind of guy, you know, Dabo might be the kind of guy who will just kind of uh, say whatever comes to his mind, but Ryan day is not that. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, Ryan day is not that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that's very calculated in everything he says. So I don't think that just slipped out. I think that was something uh, that was on his mind and he didn't have a problem hinting at. I love that too. Like I, this game is so fun for so many reasons. I can't even name them all. And like, like, what do you expect in that regard? Like, do you expect that like, this is going to be a noticeably chippy game? I'm glad that I get to be in the building for it. Cause you know, I'm, I will be lucky enough to actually be there. I know we both will. Uh, I I really wish that everybody could. I I wish this could be a full stadium. I mean, the atmosphere for this one would be absolutely incredible. It, it really would. Um, do I think it'll be chippy? Like, I think I certainly think we'll notice the physicality. Like, I think that that'll be on display. I don't know how much dirty stuff will be be going on, but like, I think this is going to be one of the most physical games we've seen Ohio State play in years. I wish Damon Arnett was still at Ohio State for this game because who, who is the most let now that he's gone? That's what I was trying to think about. Like who's who going to be is, the guy who could fight? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we saw Ronnie Hickman have a moment there at, at Michigan State, Jersey boy. Uh, yeah, he he had a moment there, 
where he almost he almost did. There's but, not a lot of guys on this Ohio. There's State. not an obvious candidate. Oh, I mean, mind. like I could see Seven Banks drawing. I could. Like he's, I could. He, he's certainly you know he's literally named seven. He wears number seven. Like you think that guy doesn't draw? I mean, but, I like I know this. Like if I'm Clemson, like I if Dewan Jones is on the field, like that's just not the dude that I'd want to get into a, a, a brawl with. I mean, yes, that is fair. I mean, there are a lot of I, there are a lot of guys on these rosters who I'd feel that that way about. Uh, but yeah, at the top actually, of the list for me. Yeah, there aren't a ton of guys who I think are going to be the kind of guys who are just going to talk nonstop. Um, which is, you know, I guess for the officials, it's probably a good thing. Um, but I think there are a lot of guys who want to who want to knock people on the other team. Uh, I was going to say unconscious, but and then I stopped myself, and then I sort of thought. They probably do. Hopefully, hopefully, people on TV. Hopefully, they. Hopefully, the audio is such that we could hear uh, some of the things that are being said during the game. Because uh, I, I do think that will be entertaining. Um, you know, going off of that, one of our other questions that we got this week was from Jay Lawrence's laugh, and he asked, "We all know Ohio State draws great TV ratings. Does Friday night's primetime game?" break previous college records the day time and matchup all lend itself to a massive viewership what's your guys thoughts will this be the most watched college game in history that's a bold prediction i i i don't think i'm gonna go there i mean i think one reason i'm not gonna go there is just because my hunch would be that friday night might hurt viewership a little bit because that's that's not a traditional college football night um now granted it's a time of covid so um you know there's not as many people you know going out on what would be you know a holiday weekend friday as there might normally be but you know i don't know that i see a record-breaking viewership here but uh i certainly think it's it's gonna get good ratings and i think you know there's a you know i think if you know i mean alabama and notre dame have two huge fan bases too but i think there's definitely more of a perception going into that game that that game could be a blowout. Um, I, I think it's good for ESPN that this is the night game because I think, uh, I think this is the game that, you know, nationally, you know, even just outside of Ohio and South Carolina, I think this is the game that nationally is uh, certainly, I think the most anticipated college football game of the year to date. I was just looking back on last year's to see if I could, you know, line it up. And, you know, last year they got 21.2 million viewers. Um, I do wonder, I actually haven't, you know, seen on a, on a weekly basis. I don't know what college football viewership is compared to last year. And like, on one hand, I wonder like why we talk about viewership so often, but that's a thing that is a constant topic of conversation in sports. I do wonder if, you know, generally there has been less, you know, sports sporting events and, and all sports being watched so i don't know that this is going to be the most viewed all time almost solely just because of that yeah yeah i i i wouldn't think that but uh certainly a lot of people are going to watch and yeah viewership is important because in a year where there's been no fans in stadiums uh tv money uh from college football is is pretty crucial to the lifeblood of these athletic departments uh that fund these uh, multi-million dollar football programs so uh, good ratings uh, would certainly uh, be good for the powers that be in college football 
Money does matter. We had another um, we had another question from Blank Tank Fifty Six, which is, what is the single most important thing for Ohio State to do to beat Clemson? And I, you know, I was thinking about like one, but like, give me give me the single most, and then like the under the radar thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to go with anything other than the pass defense stepping up and and you know playing its best game of the year and limiting big plays because you know I, I you know I I expect points to be scored on both sides here. I mean we're not talking about Ohio State pitching a shutout on defense. That's completely unrealistic. And they don't even need to do that. You know, they've got the offense to put up some points. But you know, I think they've gotta they've gotta be able to limit Clemson to where they give their offense a, a chance. Because I think you know, I think if this game just turns into a pure shootout of just scoring, I don't see Ohio State winning that game because I, I think Clemson's defense is better, and I think Clemson's defense is ultimately, you know, more capable of of, of making the key stop if you end up in that kind of game. I, I think Ohio State's got to consistently make enough stops over the course of a game, and you know, and control the field position as much as it can. Uh, to, to give Ohio State, you know, Ohio State's offense a chance to score enough points to win the game. So I, I am going to keep going back to that pass defense, keep going back to that defense, limiting big plays for you know Ohio State to have a chance to win this game. Uh, what would you say in that regard? And then I'll answer. Yeah, the I'm. One. You know, I'm not going to go there because I do think that this is going to be a huge game for the linebackers too, in, in terms of that. And and I think of you know, the past defense, I think the issues that they've had are not based on the linebackers, but rather with the, with the defensive backs. I, I certainly think that's a giant part of this game, but to me, it's not the most important because even if, even if they get torched a couple times, I think an Ohio state team that has Justin Fields absolutely rolling can still win. If Justin Fields is not absolutely rolling, I just, I don't see Ohio state winning this game at all. I think the most important thing is like whatever Justin Fields was doing against Northwestern, whatever that was again, whatever those interceptions were against Indiana, like those literally cannot happen in this game where I don't think Ohio state wins. Like I think Justin Fields has to be the guy that made me think this is the greatest player in Ohio state history. Like this is the most talented player who's ever suited up in Ohio state uniform. I have to come out of this game thinking that for Ohio state to win. And, and that's the thing where because of the recent stuff that has happened with him, I just don't, I don't know. Like I, like he has that, he has that capability because I, I, I viewed him as the most talented player at ever at Ohio state. And yet he performed the way he did against Northwestern. And it makes me wonder if we're going to see that. I'll say the under the radar thing. I don't know how under the radar it is, but you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's been talked about that much is you, you, when you get into the red zone, you've got to finish those opportunities because Ohio State didn't do that last year. And that's a, you know, there's been so much talk about that one call that went against him. So much talk about Sean Wade's targeting ejection. But to me, as big as anything in last year's game was Ohio State settling for free field goals in the red zone and, and losing those, missing out on those opportunities to score touchdowns. Because Ohio State really could have put this game away last year if it, if it had scored touchdowns when it had those opportunities in the red zone early in the game. Uh, it, it could have really run away with this game and, and it didn't do that. It let Clemson hang around and ultimately, you know, the game swung back in Clemson's favor. We, you know, we've seen Ohio state have some trouble with that at times too. Again, small sample size this year, but we've seen, you know, those issues recur at times. 
with this Ohio State team. So I think that's a really important thing is I think when you get opportunities uh, to score in the red zone, you've got to finish off those drives. You've got to take advantage of them because I think Clemson is going to score its share of points. And I think if Ohio State doesn't take advantage of all the touchdown opportunities it gets, it's probably going to come back to haunt them at the end of the game. I think that's fair. My Mine is not really that under the radar, but I'm just going to make a specific point. Like, I don't think Trey Sermon needs to run for 300 yards for Ohio State to win, but I think I think he's going to have to make guys miss at the second level. And, like, to me, getting specific on, like, what was different about Trey Sermon this game against Northwestern versus every single other game, he made guys miss. Like, it's it's really that simple. It's, it's, it's as simple as it gets, but I don't – I don't, that's the thing that's so incomprehensible about it. Like against Michigan state, he had the 25 yarder that he made a couple guys miss. And it's like, wow, this is really impressive. And then the rest of the game, he just didn't make guys miss against Northwestern. Like every single time he had the ball, he was juking. He was running through guys. It was unbelievable. It really was unbelievable. And that's the kind of guy that Ohio state needs. They don't need 300 out of them but they need them to make some guys miss the second level a couple times and break a couple so that you don't have to have Justin Fields run for a hundred and throw for 350 to win this thing. All right. This is a part of a podcast we've been putting off, but we, we do typically make a prediction for every game. So I feel like we got to do it. And I'll, I mean, I'll go first here. I mean, if I, I got to pick who I think is going to win this game, I'm going to pick Clemson to win this game because like I've said before, I think I think everything's got to go right for Ohio State. I think Ohio State's got to play at a level that Ohio we haven't seen Ohio State play at yet this year. I think Clemson playing the way it played down the stretch can win this game. And I just think there's so much projection here for Ohio State to, 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 to play, you know, this complete game that we just don't know if it can play. Logically, I just can't pick Ohio State to, to win this game, you know, and I think – you know, there's, there's so much talk going into a game about, you know, the motivation for Ohio State, the bulletin board material and all that. And I think it does make some effect psychologically, but I, I think at the end of the day, these are two teams that are both going to be extremely motivated to win this game because it's a college football game, college football playoff game with a trip to the national championship on the line. And, and I just think based on the tangible data that we have to go off of that, Clemson is the better football team. So that that's, that's where I've got to go with it. You know, I, I think Clemson wins this game. My guess is Clemson wins this game by, by two scores. How do you see it going? I think that's completely fair. Um, I sent you a prediction earlier this week. And I feel like the way that I've talked about the ways that Clemson will attack Ohio state makes me reconsider. Just because, you know, I'm, you know, I, I see, I, I see ways that I feel like Ohio State could win that people just aren't talking a ton about. Like, if you can shut down ETN in a way that people aren't expecting, like, I feel like these linebackers have been completely under the radar nationally this whole season. Like, if, if they are the kind of guys that Ryan Day thought they were at the beginning of the season, and if Justin Fields looks like the kind of guy that put him in the Heisman Trophy front runner spot earlier this fall. And if Trey Sermon is the kind of running back that we just saw him be, like there's no reason that this Ohio State team can't beat Clemson. Clemson's really, really, really good. 
but Ohio State is too. And I think that, you know, some there's some sort of recency bias, even in, you know, me when I made the pick, which was Clemson 49, Ohio State 38. I, I just, I don't know where to go with this one. I don't think I'll have the score be as high and I don't think I'll have, um, I don't think I'll have the deficit be as big. I think it'll be closer than that. I think it'll, I'll go, uh, I'll still pick Clemson just because I think that there are too many, there are too many ifs for Ohio State. Um, and, and I'll pick Clemson 42-38. But I think, I, I don't know, like there's part of me that wants to pick Ohio State because I feel like they're, they're really good players on this team that um, are being a little bit overlooked nationally. Um, and even in, within Columbus, just because of the recent stuff that we just saw with Justin Fields against Indiana and then just the entire performance against Northwestern that, you know, part of me wants to pick Ohio State, but I still can't because I – I did just see the Northwestern game and it's like, there are still lingering concerns to me, mainly about Justin Fields and, and being the, the, the Heisman trophy guy that I, that I thought he was earlier this fall. All right. All right. I thought, I thought you were going to be right there with me there. Well, confident Clemson wins. So you threw a, a little bit of a curveball there on me, but uh... I, you know, I was earlier in the week and then I was just sort of, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I believe, I believe in some of the, I believe that the defensive backfield isn't going to get hit for five 80 yard games. I just don't think Clemson is built to beat them that way with their receivers. And I think that in that, you know, they're not going to move the ball six yards at a time running up the middle. In my opinion, I don't think that that will happen. And maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but to me, that means there's a lot of reliance on, you know, Trevor Lawrence on the ground on getting ETN on the outside. And that's where I think like, Maybe the, maybe the linebacker is a little bit underrated here. And then on the other side, like maybe Trey Sermon is actually really, really good and he's going to be really, really good. And because we only saw him be awesome for one game, we're sort of not giving him his full due. And like that to me is why I'm a little bit closer than I was earlier in the week. Yeah. My score prediction is 38, 27. And like, there's a part of me that like almost considers picking it a little bit lower scoring. Cause I think, I think a lot of times these games tend to be lower scoring than they're projected to be. I think a lot of times people just kind of project a back and forth track meet up and down the field and they don't necessarily tend to be those games. So I'm going to stick with 38, 27. Um, I initially considered going a little bit higher than that, but I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I, I just, I think, I, I do think Clemson's a more complete football team. I, I do think that Clemson, uh, if it plays the way it's played all year, you know, should win this game, but I'm not by any means. I mean, I'll say this, like, I don't think we're in for 2016 here. You know, I mean, I think this game is going to be closer to what we saw in in 2019 than what we saw in in 2016 in terms of, I think this is going to be a competitive game. Uh, I think, I think there's going to be back and forth in this game. I, I just, you know, last year I went into last year's game. I predicted a close Ohio State win going into last year's game. And last year I truly felt going into last year's game like it was basically a coin flip game. Like I really felt last year's game could go either way. And the way the game turned out, that's really the way it was. Going into this game, I, I just I feel like to, to pick Ohio State to win this game would force me to project Ohio State playing in a way that I haven't seen Ohio State play this year. And it doesn't mean it can't because we just haven't seen that much Ohio State football, that, that, that they might have that in them and we just haven't seen it yet, but I, I just can't pick it. Which is fair. 
And I think that that's a lot of people in Columbus too. Like, I don't think we're totally alone. Like, I think there are a lot of people that really like parts of this team, yet we've only seen six games the last time we saw them. They didn't exactly decimate Northwestern in the way that a lot of people thought they would. All right. So we've talked all about Ohio State Clemson here. I think that's what people want to hear about. Um, But we'll do a very quick three things we think here to wrap up the show because I think we did have a few other things that we wanted to hit on. Um, I'll start with the first one. And again, these are all things uh, we'll keep them quick and we could probably hit on them more in the off season. But the first thing I want to hit on is I think Ohio state should stop recruiting H back type receivers as in the urban Meyer, Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel type player. And I think those players should stop coming to Ohio state because I think with Mookie Cooper's transfer of his past week or decision that he would enter the transfer portal. We've now seen three guys in a row that Ohio state has recruited in that mold in Jalen Gill, Demario McCall and, and Mookie Cooper who haven't done anything at Ohio state. Quite frankly, Demario McCall is still on the team, but he's a fifth year senior who's returning kicks. And that's really all he's doing. And so I think Ohio state's offense has shifted away from that kind of player. I think that's totally fine. I think it's just, that's just not what Ryan day's offense is. I don't think it's what Ryan Hartline necessarily is looking for in a receiver, but to me, I, 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 I think it probably does both sides a disservice to continue recruiting players in that mold because it just doesn't seem to me like, they're going to utilize that kind of player to its full potential. And I'm not, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the only reason why, you know, Mookie Cooper decided to transfer out. I think, you know, homesickness might've been a factor there and you you might want to go closer to home, but it just seems to me like, you know, recruiting that kind of receiver, it just doesn't make sense for Ohio state anymore because I think the slot receiver they want is that Garrett Wilson, who's more of a true receiver in that mold. And I think it just makes better sense for everybody to Ohio state to focus its receiver recruiting efforts on guys who are true traditional receivers and not that hybrid running back wide receiver type, that I just don't think really has a place in their offense anymore. And it feels like to me, them putting jets and Smith and Jigba was almost like in the slot was almost like a self-admission right away that even though they brought in Mookie Cooper and the exact same recruiting class, that wasn't going to stop them from putting Smith and Jigba there. I think, you know, even if, you know, there were other extenuating factors for why Mookie Cooper wanted to leave and potentially, I don't know, go closer to home. Um, you know, that I, I, I'm, I, I don't really exactly know when I would have projected him to, to get on the field in the rotation or, or really start, but I know it would have been down the line. I'll do the second thing and then you can, you can have the third thing. So the second thing is second thing I've been thinking about is I have no idea really still about Kerry Combs, the defensive coordinator. I think that there are certainly questions that he still has to answer. Um, I just know one thing, like two or three years down the line, their cornerbacks are going to be really, really talented. Um, just based on the fact that, you know, obviously they have headline, they, they, they have JK Johnson and Jordan Hancock headlining the 2021 class. And then if you look like, is it, I think it's on Saturday, Jaheen Singletary from down in Jacksonville, Florida, who's the number 10 overall player, the number five cornerback in the 2022 class. You now he's supposed to make his, his commitment already. 
And it feels like right now, at least from what is being reported, that you know Ohio State is is the the heavy favorite right there. Um, and if you look at the other guys who are ahead of him at the cornerback, you know, Domini Jackson right now, you know, he has a couple of crystal balls and uh, for Ohio State, he's the number one cornerback, the number three player in the country. He's out in California. You know, Denver Harris, Ohio State's right in the mix there. He's the number six player in the country. Will Johnson up in Michigan, he's the number eight player in the country. It feels like right now, Michigan is maybe the favorite right there, but Ohio State is also right there in the mix. Um, the fact that Ohio State's in the midst for four of the top five cornerbacks, and it feels like we'll probably land one on Saturday. Like to me, that just tells you that you know every you know maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't tell you about the concerns that some people had about Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator instead of a defensive backs coach, but it does tell you he is going to bring in top of the line cornerback talent year in and year out, and, and that's not surprising, but it is sort of paying off. Yeah, I think. Uh, one way or another, we're going to learn a lot more about Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator this week. But I agree with you in terms of his uh, recruiting prowess that uh, I think he's doing a great job there in terms of recruiting defensive backs. Uh, the last thing, I, I think uh, we're going to talk plenty about Justin Fields' NFL prospects over the next uh, four months uh, because I'm pretty confident that uh, – he is playing either his last game or his last two games as, as a Buckeye here in the college ball playoff. But I think, I, I don't know. I don't think Colin necessarily agrees with me on this, but I think it's important for Ohio state for Justin Fields to live up to his potential as an NFL quarterback, because Dwayne Haskins was released by the Washington football team this week, less than two years after being, the number 15 overall pick in the 2019 NFL draft and Ohio state just generally has a reputation. I mean, you just go on Twitter and it is not hard to find that Ohio state's got a reputation of not developing successful NFL quarterbacks. And granted Haskins is the only one of those that's tied at all to Ryan day. But I, I do think that reputation you know, Ohio State's got a great pipeline going at quarterback right now, but I do think eventually that's going to catch up to Ohio State where, you know, you, you got a, a quarterback coach that is ex, extremely high regarded, a head coach who, who coaches the quarterbacks, I should say, and Ryan Day, who is extremely high regarded, and I think he should be, but I do think you have to be able to back it up with what, you know, you're not just getting guys to the NFL, but you're developing guys who are ready when they get there because a guy like Quinn Ewers coming into Ohio state, he's coming in because his goal is to play in the NFL and he thinks Ohio state is going to prepare him as best as possible to get there. And so I think it's important for Ohio state that, that Justin Fields reverses this narrative. I, I don't think this narrative should be held against Justin Fields as a draft prospect, but I do think that just for Ohio state, going forward, I do think it's important that Justin Fields reverses this narrative that's out there uh, about Ohio State not being able to develop NFL quarterbacks. Because I do think that eventually, even if it's not right now, that's going to catch back up to the Buckeyes on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I don't want to say that I think it matters 0%, but I think it matters like 3%. I don't think it matters because 
I mean, one, the reputation was there before Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud, or Quinn Ewers ever came to Ohio State or ever committed to Ohio State. Um, and that didn't prevent them from ending up at Ohio State. And two, like, I don't think that if Ryan Day's record, recruiting quarterbacks and you're really building a relationship with a guy that you've had for one to three years and you tell him, and another, and another, you know, university's coaches are saying, hey, Ohio State doesn't develop quarterbacks, that they're going to look at what Dwayne Haskins did in college and what Justin Fields did in college and the contracts they got in the NFL as, as rookie draft picks and think, yeah, no, I don't really want that. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. I don't think that there is another place that is consistently just producing and producing and producing guys that go on um, to, to, to thrive in the NFL. And obviously I think, you know, if we're talking about like QBU, like I think probably Clemson and, and Oklahoma and Alabama are, are those other schools that, that maybe we think of, but I don't think even Justin Fields flaming out and I don't think he will, but I, if he were to flame out in the NFL, I don't think that that would be held against Ohio state uh, because look at what he's done here. Look at the, the, the draft pick that they're going to turn him into and like, it's sort of it's on him to continue from there, and also like, what what if that were to happen? Like, who is that preventing them from getting? I'm just I'm not I'm not totally sure who that would because they still have C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller and the and, and Kyle McCord obviously who I forgot earlier um, in the pipeline who are going to be competing to start next year. Um, they're going to have Quinn Ewers after that. Like they're they're prepared through the 2024 season. So I think that. Um, I think that they're just perfectly fine, to be honest, me, the, the, the way that I see it. Well, I think that's a conversation that we can uh, certainly revisit uh, in, in the offseason, whenever that time comes. But I think right now uh, people are focused on this big game on Friday, For good as reason. are we. So we're going to wrap it up right here. Uh, thanks again for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, you know, make sure you're sticking with 11 Warriors. Uh, win or lose, we are going to have extensive coverage of all things uh, before and after uh, Friday night's game. And either way, uh, we'll be back next week to break it all down. So thanks again for listening in. I uh, hope you all enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you again soon.